0: Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. Hey, it's good to be here. Last time I was on this platform was over two years ago now, and it was my farewell from the role I had at Compassion to, uh, and my time in Newcastle. So it's good to be back. It's a little déjà and uh, It's so uh, good to be here. So thank you for that. Well, your themes have been, over the last few weeks have been on miracles. And I really do appreciate the fact that Sue invited me to come down. And I always like to have to find out what people are talking about, because it's too, I'm going to let you into a secret. It's too easy for pastors just to roll the barrel, roll the barrel, pull out your best sermon when you're visiting somewhere. And and uh, you know, you've got to do some work. And it was great just to get the passage and get the theme you're doing and just have to look at it myself because to be honest with you it's been very deeply challenging to look at miracles over the last couple of weeks in getting ready for coming down here so i want to talk a little bit about that tonight and share with you some of the challenges in my own life about about that particular topic but let me pray with you as we start father we thank you for being with us tonight we thank you for your presence with us we thank you for um, the gift of your spirit who dwells within us as rivers of living water god and i pray that we will know the truth of your word and your spirit tonight in our lives we pray as we open up this topic of miracles in jesus name amen i've uh, just titled this miracles on the high miracle on the high seas it wasn't really a sea it was a lake but it seemed like a sea to the people who were there it's a big lake and i'm going to read that in a moment but a miracle in the dictionary says An event that seems inexplicable by nature or scientific laws it's an event that seems um, inexplicable by nature by natural or scientific laws and that's what a miracle is and we're going to look at that because we don't i don't haven't been looking at that as much as maybe we should have so it's good that you are let me read to you from one of those miracles luke chapter 8 starting at verse 22. one day jesus said to his disciples Let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep and a squall came down on the lake so that that boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up, and rebuked the wind and the raging waters and the storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they ask one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the waters, and they obey him. I want to give you a bit of an insight into the kind of people who are in that boat. If I were to say to you, I want to invite you to my place in Brisbane, firstly you have to get on a flight, but when you got off at the airport, I'd give you instructions how to get to my place. I'd say, get yourself a car, get in a car, drive out the main road into the airport, drive out... Don't go in the very left lane because if you go in the very left lane, you'll get into the servo. You don't want to go to the servo. Go to one lane over, but when you get past the servo, get in the very left lane because if you don't get in the very left lane, you're going to go either into the city or north to the Sunshine Coast and you actually want to go south. So go that lane, take that lane, and that veers onto a road called the Gateway Motorway. You want to go down there about two kilometres, and two kilometres down the Gateway Motorway, you'll find this bridge. It's a huge bridge. It goes over the Brisbane River. Go up over that bridge, but when you do, make sure you slow down to 80 because if you're still doing 100, you get pinged. So when you get over the bridge, you can go back to 100 again, and then you can go down quite a few kilometres down that road to where the Gateway Motorway meets the Pacific Motorway. And that's where you want to turn off and veer off to the left, but don't stay on that road because if you stay on that road, you get to Ipswich and you don't want to go to Ipswich. So you want to veer left onto the Pacific motorway, but don't get into the middle lane. Stay in the very left lane because you get off the next exit. It's exit, I think it's 19 or 20. You get off the next exit to a road called Roachdale Road. When you get off that exit, you come to a lights. Don't go through the lights. Do a very quick left-hand turn. Go up Roachdale Road. The fifth road on the right is my road. Turn down that road, but make sure, again, you're careful because the the speed limit on my road is 40, so you don't want to get pinged twice on the one day. So so make sure you just go down that road. About 400 metres up that road, on the corner of another street is my house. Just stop there. Come in. Have a coffee. I can give you those instructions, or I can meet you at the airport and simply say these words, come follow me. Come follow me. People in that boat were people to whom Jesus had simply said, Come follow me. No instructions, no no booklet, no brochure. This is what it's like to be a disciple. No surveys to do. None of that. Just simply come follow me. And to some of them he said, I'll make you fishers of men. That's what he said to that group of people. And if you're a young boy in those times, um, if you're a young boy in, in Jesus' time, by the age of 10, you would be able to recite the first five books of the Bible. Think about that. Some of your kids have gone up to the kids' club. I've got 10-year-old nephews, and um, grandchildren. There's no way in the world they could recite that. They'd be able to recite the first five books of the bible and if you're a really smart young kid if you're really in the elite of young people by the age of 15 you could also quote the psalms and the proverbs and a good amount of the prophets as well and if that was you if you were in that bracket of elite young people you would be set aside by your family to attach yourself to a rabbi and you would be taught by that rabbi for a number of years with the whole thinking that eventually you yourself would be a rabbi. But if you weren't in that elite group of people, if you're just one of the also-ran kids, then you wouldn't be chosen, you wouldn't choose to go with a rabbi, you just go back to your family business. Maybe it's stonemasonry. maybe it's fishing, maybe it's um, carpentry, whatever it might be, you would go back to your family business and keep just doing that for most of the rest of your life. The people in that boat were not part of the elite. The people in that boat were people who'd gone back to their family business. They weren't the high and mighty. They weren't, you know, the more elevated kids, young people, young men. They were just ordinary people whom Jesus had come to at some time and said, come follow me. And they did. They were that sort of people. that were Fishermen, people who said, people like Andrew and Peter and James and John, who their family business was fishing and they left that. There was Matthew who was at a tax desk and Jesus said, come follow me, and he, and he did. There was Simon the zealot who was a rebel, a passionate rebel, and he said he followed. There was Judas. Jesus chose Judas. That's another story in itself, uh, that he actually chose Judas. And when those people said yes to the invitation to come follow me, they were in for the ride of their life. They wandered around the countryside with Jesus for three and a bit years. Extraordinary times. They they heard him speak and say some things that the Bible says they were amazed about. They were astonished at the way at the things he said. They would have heard him tell parables, stories, particularly of the kingdom, about the realm of, of God, about the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like he They'd hear parables that no one had told before. They would have heard him speak to the Pharisees in a very strict and in a way that really is very confronting and call them hypocrites and whitewashed tombs and dirty cups and all the rest of it. He, he would have heard all of that if you were one of those people who said yes and you would have seen extraordinary miracles you would have seen Jesus do extraordinary things in all sorts of categories, categories like curing or healing. You would have seen him do miracles in in terms of releasing people from demonic spirits. And the other area you would have seen him do miracles in is the area of impacting the elements. And in Luke's Gospel, this is the first one of those. Prior to this, he's seen other miracles, but this is the first one where he actually impacts the elements. And so far you would have, if you've read through Luke's gospel, you would have seen Jesus um, healing a leper. Now we just read that. It it comes across in two or three words in our Bible, Jesus healed the leper. But what that means for you, if you'd said yes to that invitation to come follow me, it means you'd be standing there and someone's flaky dead skin would be restored to life right before your eyes. Extraordinary. He healed a paralytic man who could not walk, could not move. He healed a man with a withered hand and disregarded the laws of the Sabbath to do so. See, this is somebody different. He was on the side of a hill one day before he gave the sermon on the mountains, a whole hillside of people who came to be healed, and it says he healed them all that particular day. Amazing miracles. Stops a funeral procession and uh, says to the young man who's, who's, who's dead, get up and he does you would have seen extraordinary miracles and now these characters find themselves on a boat and jesus said let's go to the other side let's just get over to the other side and when you got to the other side you would see another another bunch of extraordinary miracles where jesus puts a bunch of demons into a herd of pigs and they jump over the edge of a cliff And it made me realise, I was thinking and preparing for this, that how easy it is to get sophisticated. How easy it is to get to just highlight sophistication and technology and scientific adventure and and advancement and kind of put miracles in the background because today we're smart enough. Today we're clever enough. And that's not what this is about. That's what the challenge to me. So they get into this... uh, this boat. And I want to talk to you about some of the areas that this has disturbed me at. Looking at some of these stories and reading through prior and in, in Luke's Gospel. You know, they get in this boat. The, the, the lake is about seven miles wide, about 12 kilometres wide. And it seems that Jesus fell asleep pretty soon after getting on board. He's, he's uh, been teaching. So he's pretty tired and he falls asleep. And all of a sudden... The seas blow up. It's not a, it's not a, not a tidal wave. It's a, it's a lake, but it's, this lake is about 600 feet below sea level. It's surrounded by mountains. One of those is a mountain called big mountain called Mount Hermon, and the winds just blew down the side of that mountain and whipped up the waters, and that's what's happened in this case. And the waters are whipped up, and they're raging, and the boat's heave-hoeing and in that place. The boat's filling with water, and the disciples are freaking out These people who said, yeah, we'll take an invitation. We'll come follow you. And the boat's building up and Jesus doesn't even wake up. He's happy with the boat doing and froing, but it's filling up with water. It's getting dangerous. He doesn't wake up and that would frustrate you right there and then. And I would imagine there's some words being said on that boat. So they get to the stage where they wake him up, shake him and wake him up. Say, Master, we're perishing. They're terrified. Master, we're perishing. And uh, I, I wouldn't want you to get too judgmental about these characters because we'd probably do the same. Maybe we do do the same. God, it's all too much. God, we can't cope. God, do something. What are do you doing? Are you sleeping? Have you gone to sleep on the job? We, we sometimes get to that stage. So don't be too judgmental on these 12 men. He got up, he rebuked the wind and the waves and said, where's your faith? And they were terrified before and the scriptures say they're terrified again now for a different reason. Wow, who is this man? And that's the story we find ourselves in. And I'm glad it caused me to look at this today and I hope it helps you to look at as well because it's raised some questions and issues for me in my own life. And maybe it will for you as well. I want to share three of those things that it's caused me to be challenged by. The first one I've realised is this, that miracles expose my meagre expectations. Miracles to expose, and when I read it, they expose my meagre expectations. What do I really expect God to do? It caused me to ask if if I... really expect God to do miracles today. Do I expect God to work out through me in supernatural ways and miraculous ways? Do I ex- expect God to do that? I'm not talking about presumption that we presume God will just do what I say. I'm not talking about God being a genie in a bottle for you. That's not who God is. God is much bigger than that. But I'm talking about my expectations. Do I actually expect God to work and do stuff? that's miraculous and if not what restricts me from doing that sometimes you, i feel restricted because because of a fear of failure what if i pray and somebody knows i'm praying and it doesn't happen what will they think of god will they think of as god's weak or they think that i'm weak will i be humiliated if it doesn't happen will i be embarrassed or do i have this sense of sophistication which which kind of says you know what we can do it ourselves we can make it happen. We've, level, we've come to a level of intelligence and, you know, capacity that we can make it happen. We don't need God to make it happen. A, few, a couple of weeks ago now I was, I'm helping a little church on the north side of of uh, Brisbane and uh, it wasn't long about a week after the the war in Ukraine had started and I there's an older gentleman in the church and he's a beautiful old Christian man and he's just a, a faithful servant and he came to me in the service and he said, just after the service, he said, uh, myself and another guy, another guy about his age who I don't know, said, we've been praying for the Ukraine. I said, that's great. What what have you been praying? And he said to me, we're praying for the people of Ukraine, for those who've, who've lost loved ones that, you know, that, They'll be comforted. We're praying that aggression will lessen and stop. And then he said this, and we're praying, meaning him and his friend, we're praying that wheels will fall off the trucks of the Russian army and that the gun barrels on the tanks will bend. He said that to me. Beautiful Christian man. And when he told me I was sort of taken aback, he wouldn't have known that, but I was taken aback and I'm going, come on, you know, you're praying for that. But there was something wonderfully admirable about that. There was something winsome about a couple of guys who were actually praying. They were genuine, praying for the miraculous to happen to stop aggression and war. You know, we can understand the, you know, praying for, you know, compassion over there, for, you know, grace and comfort, praying for, you know, aggression to slow down, but wheels falling off trucks and gun barrels bending, I wouldn't have thought of that. These guys, winsome, admirable, that's what we're praying for. They're serious. And it makes you realise that, wow, isn't that extraordinary that they would do that, people praying that way. And the thing we've got to understand about miracles and expectations is this, we've got to be really clear about our roles. What's your role and what's my role and what's God's role? That's what we have to be careful about, particularly in the area of healing. have to be very cl- clear about this. And here's the deal. My role is to pray believing. God's role is to do what's right and be God. Do not get them confused. God's role is not to do what you say. God's role is to do what's right and good and be God. My role is to pray believing. That's my role. I've got to do that. And uh, God's got to do what God's got to do. That's what you've got to be very clear about in the areas of miracles, particularly in healing miracles. Got to get that. God's not a genie in a bottle where you just tell him what to do and he does. And uh, if we're honest, sometimes, sometimes it's easier to trust someone else and is to trust God. Sometimes it's easier to trust the expert than God or trust one another or someone you know really well than God. But God says, trust me. Trust me to do what's right and good and proper and true. That's what's important to do. And if we're honest, we don't always think that way. We sing a song, I'm sure you sing it as well, called Waymaker. You know the song? It's Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, light in the darkness and i'll guarantee you that of those four we think of miracle work at the least we don't mind talking about how god's made a way for us he he got us through a situation he brought us through breakthrough how god is the promise keeper we can trust in his promises he's faithful and he's true how god's the light of the world jesus is the light of the world we're the light of the world we we talk about this consciously but i don't know about you maybe this is just me but we don't talk as much about he's the miracle worker Our expectations sometimes are a bit low of what God might do. As I said before, not presumption, not entitlement, but expectation. Trust in that space. When I pray, um, how do I pray? I don't pray that God must obey me. That's not the way to pray. But I bring God the desires of my heart, and He tells us to do that. And my question would be for me and for us is what are our expectations of God? He's the God of the universe. Do we trust him to be the God of the universe? Or have I defined God in my terms? Have I created God in my image rather than allowing God to create me in his image? We just create God in our image. That's what's happened. Sometimes miracles just show me my own meagre expectations. Second thought I've had, and it's a related one, is my faith up to it? Honestly, ask that question. I've been a Christian for 47 years. Is my faith up to it, even after all that time? I wonder sometimes. It's a disturbing question because most of us are quick to say yes, of course. But I wonder if they really are. Because Jesus, in this story, used an incredible economy of words. He doesn't say very much. He just says, let's get to the other side. Goes to sleep. Wind and waves form up. Disciples go Crazy wake him up, he you know, somehow rebukes the wind of the whale on how he does that, and he simply says, where's your faith? That's all it is. Not many words. It's not a big teaching session. Where's your faith? There's something to do when you read the stories of miracles. There's something to do with faith. There's something to do with trust. And most, if not every time, a miracle occurs is a reference to faith. And he says, in my paraphrase, do you have faith in the law more than you have faith in me? It's a faith statement. He heals a centurion's servant, a centurion who's a God-fearing man, not even a follower of Jesus that's they just a God-fearing man whose servant is dying, and so he sends some elders out to, to kind of uh, you know, persuade Jesus to come into his house and heal his servant because he knows he's done it before. And then he gets the revelation that Jesus doesn't even have to be in my house. I, can, I know if he just says to be healed, even if he's not here, to be healed. So he sends another group of people that say, just don't come. Just just say the word and my, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, I've not seen such faith in this in all Israel. Because it's the first time anyone has trusted Jesus to heal when he wasn't there in person. Never seen faith like this in the whole of Israel. Extraordinary. There's a story we come to of a woman who's been ill for a long time, who just touches the hem of his garment. says, your faith has made you well. And then we come to this story. Where is your faith? There's, there's a faith dimension to this miraculous story. In fact, the most miraculous story is a faith dimension. Luke, who writes another book, the book of Acts, after he's written a gospel, he writes the book of, the book of Acts. And he tells extraordinary stories. He talks about the gospel of the kingdom, goes out, with signs and wonders. And one day he's talking about the Apostle Paul where people just wanted to get, come in and get Paul's handkerchief and just touch Paul's handkerchief and were healed. And we go, wow. You just imagine. We're here tonight and someone walks through that door and comes up and sits next to you and said, God's told me that if, if I touch your handkerchief, I'll be healed. You're saying you're crazy. And I'm not suggesting we develop a theology about hankies or anything like that, or a a doctrine, the handkerchief doctrine, because that's what we do. Now, God just did this, and we'd we'd freak out about that. We'd be embarrassed to pull your hanky out, right? We just would freak out about that. He says to the Thessalonian church and to others, I came to you not just in words, but in power, the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. It didn't just come in words. The gospel of the kingdom is not just a wordy thing. It's not just a cerebral thing. It's not just an academic statement that you've got to get your head around. I came to you with words, sure, but with power, the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction at the same time. You see, your faith doesn't make things easy. It makes things possible. It's very different. Your faith isn't meant to make it easy for you. It makes things possible. I remember when I was lecturing at Bible college, I did that for four years, and one day in a lecture, I'm not sure what the lecture was about, but a student put his hand up and sort of interrupted the lecture and he said this to me and it's, it's haunted me regularly since that day and it was a long time ago. He said to I me, mean, what are you trusting God for that only God can do? Not what are you trusting God for that if God doesn't come through in a week, go to plan B, plan C, plan D. But what are you trusting God for that only God can do? That's a challenging question. It's bothered me ever since. It's not about just being up to intellectually defending our faith or living the moral life of faith. It's actually about trusting God wonderfully and powerfully and Sometimes your faith needs to be tested before it can be trusted. I mean, just not just we don't just say, "Oh, yes, we believe that It'll, God will do that." No, sometimes you need to be tested before you trust it. Third thing I want to share that this um, look at miracles and this particular miracle has just kind of been a challenge in my own life is it's caused me to ask answer the question: How dependent, or even desperate? Am I really? How dependent or desperate am I really? When I, when I read about miracles, there seems to be a level of desperation there that maybe we don't have to show, maybe we don't have to have. There seems to be that level of desperation. I ask the question, am I, am I dependent? Or the stronger question, am I desperate for God to work in ways that I can't imagine? I'm not sure if we can I can even believe, but I am I trusting God for that. You seem to that seems to happen in the in the gospel stories. As in Luke's gospel, you would have already seen and uh, read about uh four men who had a mate who was paralyzed. And he could not move, obviously, because he was paralyzed, and you don't have a, a security net in that culture. There's no NDIS. So these four men had such faith in where jesus was that they actually vandalized a home so they could put him down through the roof that's their desperation we got to get him before jesus somehow he pulls the tiles or the thatch whatever it was off the roof of someone's house and when jesus when that happened jesus said this in luke chapter 5 When Jesus saw their faith, their faith, not his faith, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to him, friend, your sins are forgiven, and then he eventually heals him. When he saw their faith, their desperation for a mate, their desperation for a friend, and maybe that friend had given up himself, who knows? We don't know. But those four guys hadn't given up, and because of their faith, he was healed. I mentioned before the, the woman who was who touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And this is a woman who shouldn't have be been anywhere near Jesus. She was an outcast of society. She was out in the up block, in the back block somewhere because of her condition. And you get the impression that when the crab was around him, she's kind of there, maybe even crawling towards him, because it says she touched the hem of his garment, not the sleeve of his garment or the you know, the loose garment he was wearing but she touched the hem of his garment right down the bottom and it caused him to stop everything and to say power's gone out of me who touched me and he said to her luke chapter 8 says daughter your faith has healed you go in peace there's a woman who's desperate she was as desperate as those four friends of the man who was paralyzed and now you've got the situation where people in a boat are bailing out water. They're bailing out water and the water line is coming up to the top of the boat very quickly and they're bailing it out and scared stiff and terrified and their leader's asleep. And there's something about dependence and desperation which is really important. I want to say this and maybe indulge me for a couple of minutes if you wouldn't mind. I I work with a number of churches, church leaders in in brisbane just what i do in sort of semi-retirement and i'm convinced in this day and age that the world needs a dependent church the world needs a church that's dependent on god totally dependent and allow me to to posture something with you because often the leaders that i hear in the church churches that i work with people are very quick to say this when are we going to get back to normal when do we get back to normal? As if what we had prior to 2020 was normal. I want to say to you that what we had for three or four decades before 2020 was actually abnormal. And normal was before that. But the last 30 or 40 years has been fairly cruisy for the church in the West. Particularly. I, I know there's been some tough times. There's been there's been, you know, some terrorist activities, which I, I don't want to trivialize those. There's been some financial, you know, challenges. But before that, there were world wars and there were pandemics and there were, um, you know, world depressions. Massive, massive issues. And by comparison, that was the normal. That's been the normal for centuries. But by comparison, the last 30, 40 years, it's been pretty cruisy. It's been difficult at times, I know that, and I don't want to trivialise those difficulties. And for the last maybe 30, 40 years, we've had what I would call in the West and sometimes in the church in the West, we've had an illusion of control. So we think we're in control. We think we can control nature. We think we can control human nature. You know, 40 plus years ago, a man walked on the moon and he went, wow, now we sell tickets to space. We can control that. It's another environment we're in charge of now the last 40 years, we've had more self-help courses than ever before. We can control human nature. And if the last two years have taught us anything, it's we don't have control. We don't have control over nature. We've got a global pandemic we can do nothing about, it seems. We can have all sorts of theories about it, but really, it's, it's right around the globe. We don't have control of that. As I said before, we've had... 40 years of, you know, self-help courses that are trying to do this, that and something else, and they've been fine. But the last couple of years, particularly to the forefront, has been domestic violence hasn't got better. Child abuse hasn't got better. Racism hasn't got better. Sexism hasn't got better. Even though we think we can control human nature, we can't. And we've lived in this almost illusion of control. And I think what God might be saying to us, and please, I'm not, saying god is i don't believe i have a hotline to god but i think one of the things god might be challenging us with is that will you be dependent again i need a humble church i need a dependent church i need a church that's desperate for me not just can do it all get it all done god is looking i think for a dependent church not a self-righteous church that has got it all together Not a divisive church where there are little tribes here, there and someone else getting divided about what crazy issues. Not an entitled church, but an on-your-knees church. A humble church. Not Not a church that I can determine how God works, just say the right words and have the right formulas. God will do it for us. No, a dependent church, a humble church. That's what I think God is saying to us. I think we need to be people who have expectations of God. People whose faith is rising, trusting. That God will do what He's right to do. And if I pray one thing and God does another, I've got to have faith to handle that. God's not my at my beck and call. He's God. But he trusts you to pray. That's the thing. And being a people who are dependent. Dependent. On him. In a moment I just want to finish but giving you it's, it, to me it's no point talking about stuff if you don't start to activate ourselves on it. I, I want to give you an opportunity in a moment I, I want to pray for you and if you're here tonight and you want, you're want, you just saying to God God I need a miracle I don't know what that is but you're saying to God I need a miracle and I'm, I am want to pray for that and I'm going to ask you to stand in a minute and pray for you and not sure what that means it's whether it's healing or whether it's a breakthrough somewhere, whether it's some financial or relationship thing you need a, a miracle in. And I understand, I'm not going to promise you a miracle. I wouldn't dare. But I promise I'll pray for you. That's what I'm called to do. So I'm going to pray in a minute for those who, who just want to say tonight, simply where you are, I need a miracle. Something in my life needs to change. Something in my life needs the hand of God that, and I'm going to try and expect God to work. I'm going to try and allow my faith to rise and see what he does, and I'm desperate for that. So just right now, where you are, wherever you are, here, tonight, if you need a miracle, I'm just going to give you a few seconds to stand right now where you are. I don't want to know what it is. I don't need to know what it is. You just stand right now if you need a miracle. Just feel free to stand, and I'll love to pray for you. Let me just say before I pray that I really admire the courage in doing that because it's not easy to say that. So thank you for taking the courage to to stand. Father, I want to thank you that you are an amazing God, the God of all creation, the God of the universe. And Father, you know, I don't know, and I don't need to know why each person has stood tonight, but they have stood to say, I need a miracle. I need to see the God of all creation working in me. And maybe tonight I'm expecting that. Maybe tonight I have faith to say that could happen. Oh, God, would that be good? Maybe tonight I'm just dependent and desperate enough to trust God to do something in me tonight. Father, I would pray for miracle after miracle in people's lives tonight. That as people stand and they know and you know what those needs are, that they'll have a a newfound faith, a newfound trust and a newfound dependence on you. Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for that, and I pray that in each case tonight that only you know at the depth of their being. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.